Hello. Hello. Welcome to The Cute Life with me, Finlay. Me, Ollie. And two recently cleared throats. Yes. As you may have heard at the beginning. So clear, so clear. What you don't know is before we record this, Finn does 25 minutes of throat exercises to prepare her voice. Yeah, like Miley Cyrus. Ooh, ha ha ha. Which is why Finn's voice is so silky smooth by the oh, time it gets onto the... you can hear it, can't you? Can you hear it? It's great, isn't it? Cheap microphone. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Finley? Um, I am okay. I've, qu- I've kind of recovered from my day of crying. <laughs> it's been an emotional day. such an emotional day. Um, so you all know that I watch films while I'm painting now. Um, I'm giving podcasts a bit of a break. And you're going to have such a good back catalogue when you're done with oh this. Oh my god, so good. <laughs> uh, and so I watched, this morning I decided to watch Lost in Translation, which I love that film so much, but it is, I find it heartbreaking. It is so, it cuts me to my very core. To your core. Um, it's just, yeah... Bill Murray wandering around looking like my deceased father because my dad used to look like Bill Murray. Um, so that's a sad aspect for me. But then on top of that, it's just like a man being sad in Tokyo, which is just like my Achilles heel, my kryptonite. I can't deal with that is shit. Is Tokyo an element of that? Mm, it could be any city, <laughs> but it's just, it's a, a wonderful film. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it. But it just makes me feel very sad. Um, even though I love it. And so I watched that, finished that, already feeling kind of bummed out. And then I put on Beautiful Boy with Steve Carell and Timothy Chamolet. Chamolet? I don't, I don't know anything about this film. I've never Chamolet. even heard of it. Chamolet. I can't say his surname. Um, Peter Chamolet. No, Timothy Chamolet. Timothy Chamolet. From Call Me By Your Name, from The King, from Lady Bird. Um, Need I go on? Very amazing actor. Um, and, uh, yeah, did I say Steve Carell? And it's yeah. about, um, it's like a, a film based on a memoir or two memoirs about a son and his father. And the son is addicted to meth, amphetamine. Jesus, that sounds... And it's so upsetting. It's all about addiction, which is another one of my triggers where I find it very upsetting didn't realise that was what the film was about I think I would have given myself a break from all of my triggering things yeah <laughs> not one after t- another you shouldn't really do two triggers oh, back to back it was really really good really recommend it it was very good but very emotional and I honestly I came downstairs and I think I cried for a good 20 minutes like just into my leftover risotto oh not the risotto I know then. which you didn't take to work with you yeah well boy. Um, so I had to me. eat it <laughs> weird <laughs> um, yeah so I've just about recovered from that um, so it's been an emotional day, um, but I watch Matt Berry short videos to cheer myself up in the afternoon. Oh, they are are they on iPlayer? Yes, iPlayer. Yeah, they're really fun. Matt Berry from Toast of London. Toast of London fame. The IT crowd. Yeah, who I've spoken of my love of him many a time. <laughs> um, but he, it, there's a, it was a particular one. One of my followers messaged me. Cause she knows that I like. Um, the work of Matthew Ma- Berry. Yes, and uh, they recommended, yeah, Ghosts, and I completely forgot that existed, and it just <laughs> made me so happy, so yeah. Didn't he do one of that. those with Bob Mortimer? No, maybe, I don't know. I feel like maybe there was one. Are you mixing that up with the the Vic and Bob Ghost Most Haunted short video? 
Possibly. That was very good. Everything's mixed up in my mind now. Um, but I, while we're on recommendations, I didn't mean to like just jump straight into this. You're allowed to jump straight in. Can I? Why not? Um, I've watched really some really good films this week, those two, and I also watched a documentary on Netflix, which I think is like brand new to Netflix, called um, Little Lil Peep. Lil Peep. Lil Peep. L-I-L. Everybody's everything. I knew nothing about Lil Peep. Gus knew nothing about him or his... Gus's real name. Gus's... Well, his real name is like Gustav, I think. So he wasn't christened Lil Peep. No. His mum used to call him Little... little I keep calling it... Like, going to make it the English... Little. Posh version. Little Peep. Mother used to call him Little Peepworth. His, yes. His mama used to call him Little Peep. A little peep. Um, so he changed his name to that. But I knew nothing about him or anything. So it was extra interesting to me because it was just open. Yeah, you didn't know what was going to happen at the end. I had no idea what was going to happen and it was just like really great. And yeah, I had no idea about emo rap. He like invented this whole like genre of music, which was just like fascinating. And he was just like so charismatic and just interesting and gorgeous which felt a bit weird about fancying him because he was about 19 when he first started out and i was like oh my god you're so good looking oh, oh i'm being really pervy this is creepy i'm finding a 19 year old very attractive um anyway but i really loved it and i also watched another music documentary man you're really going for the music which documentary I, I discovered this because it was recommended by louis through and obviously anything recommended by louis through got to watch it uh it was called stalking pete doherty Do- some people say doherty i say doherty um who i was obsessed with when i was a teenager so this obviously piqued my interest um <laughs> Oh my god, it's absolute gold. It was on YouTube. I cannot recommend it enough. It was so good. So basically it's about this um journalist or like this documentary maker who repeatedly says in the documentary that he's won a BAFTA, although I don't know where What was how... his name? Can you remember? <sighs> what was the documentary called? I can't remember. I'm gonna have to look at I didn't do any prior research into this, I should have done, but um I think his name's Max. Yeah, it's definitely new oh, Max yeah. something. Um, and it's basically... Max Carlish. Yes. Stalking Pete Doherty. That's it. Max Carlish. And he basically starts this documentary and he thinks... He discovers Pete Doherty, I think on the news or something, or in the paper. And he gets obsessed by him, basically. And, and the idea of making a documentary about him. And he like thinks this is going to completely he's kind of down and out and he thinks this documentary is going to shoot him back into the limelight rejuvenate his career so he sets out on a mission to meet him and film him so he doesn't know him at all prior to no he doesn't know him at all and he manages to sort of get backstage with him and meet him and and start filming him and then kind of what happens is just like it's madness it's so good um max the documentary maker reminded me so much of uh, i don't know if anyone's watched garth Marenghi's dark place like well they should do because it's it's like a comedy spoof where this guy garth Marenghi is like talking about this um 
hospital drama in the 80s. Yeah. It's, it's all like a spoof thing, but um, a mockumentary. Oh my God, yeah. I just looked at a picture of him. It literally looks like a it, Honestly, spot. he's like smoking and like talking about this documentary like it's like revolutionary, like it's changed the world. It's amazing. Um, please go watch it. It's fucking brilliant. I loved it so much. It's just on YouTube. Um, I did, It's not a great copy of it because I think it was just like off the TV, but oh my God, absolute gold. Um, yeah, so... Um, I just, um, yeah, those two, they were both quite sad, really, because it's just basically, I watch back-to-back, oh, I just don't learn my lesson, do I? That back-to-back watching sort of sad things, just, those two films are just, got me really thinking about, like, charisma and, like, what, like, these two people who are like sort of so self-destructive but they're so charismatic and so talented and so like people are just drawn to them and they're making all these people money and they don't give a shit that they're completely like self-destructing because they're making everyone around them money and giving everyone drugs and whatever they want and it yeah it's like they're all sort of leeching on this amazing personality and it's just yeah it kind of makes you think like what is it about these like it's funny like like what you can't really boil charisma down to anything you either have it or you, or you don't like you yeah. know when someone walks into a room and you're like i you've just got something about you yeah i know what you mean and it's it kind of made me think like because i was like i don't know whether this is probably quite sexist of me to say and I am a feminist I'm gonna preempt this she's got her fingers statement. crossed um that I don't know whether women have charisma in the same way men do but maybe that's just because I'm heterosexual that yeah I'm more attracted to men and I'm kind of linking those two things in my head being attractive and being charismatic I don't know but then I was thinking like Amy Winehouse definitely had that and the same sort of chaotic energy that drew people to her and yeah. made her made everyone a lot of money and stuff and I think also as well with those kind of people when they're quite like druggy rock and rollers I think people sort of live vicariously through them because there's an element of people where you're like oh I wish I just like didn't mm. give a shit I could do whatever I want and uh just like especially from like a external view when you look at like Pete Doherty or someone like when everything was going well for them and it was like yeah they're druggy but it doesn't seem to really affect them in any negative way or anything like that so i think people really latch on to that the hedonistic sort of like youth yeah that they wish they could have lived i guess and then you yeah you look at them at this point when they're either dead or things are a little bit grimmer and you're like oh maybe that wasn't margate I mean, it doesn't get grimmer than that. Eating I only joke. <laughs> all day breakfasts. Um, yeah, I mean, Pete's doing really well, but for <laughs> other people, it hasn't it hasn't done so well. But I was... Oh, sorry, everyone. Uh, no, but just fell on the floor. Um, I was thinking that, like, that it's all sort of, like, to do with vulnerability again, isn't it? That, I don't know, that people connect with their art so much because they put so much of their vulnerability in themselves into their art. And I was thinking a lot about, because, like, the difference between sort of hiding behind your art and letting your art speak for you, and then these people who sort of put a lot of themselves into it, and it kind of, like, elevates their art and their work to another level, doesn't it? And I also think, 
because I was thinking about this in terms of like Lewis Capaldi. Of course. <laughs> both me and Ollie can't stand Lewis Capaldi's art um, music. Um, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard, but I would never stick it on. It's just not my cup of tea. No shade to anyone who enjoys his No offence, Lewis, if you're listening. But what <laughs> I was going to say is, but me and Ollie are like his biggest fans and think he's a great person and think he's really funny and I want him to succeed even though I don't really like his work because he's such a great person and it's almost like you're um, doubling your fan base because you've got those people who love you for your art, for your work but also like like you as a person. I also think um, and I see this with like art the Sorry art, this has gone on a massive tangent The artists we <laughs> represent at work Yeah you as you know as we we are the people who are helping them succeed mm. you're drawn to help the people who are really nice and funny and you like and you get on with because they're the people you want to spend your time with so yeah you know and although maybe that's i don't know if that's necessarily true for people like amy winehouse and pete doherty and stuff like that but when they got that charisma, they probably still have that same thing if people want to be around them and want to push yeah. them up and make yeah. them succeed I do, and in a tiny way, I'm not obviously comparing myself to Amy Winehouse or all of these. You're the people, Amy Winehouse of pet portraits. This is kind of like my thinking behind wanting to like show myself and what I'm about. No, a hundred percent. It's because, interesting because this links to the artist I was going to talk oh, really? about a bit about today, and I do think, I think that the. It's just easier to connect with someone if you know you know them, you feel like you know where they're coming from and you know their dislikes and you can relate to them. And oh, I 100%. Think... And also, I really, you, with artwork, you really can find that liking a person will make you like their artwork more. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying to you that I listened to a podcast with Michael Craig Martin, the artist, mm-hmm. whose work, like, it's fine. Like, there's one or two pieces that I really like. Most of it, I could take it or leave it. Like, I probably wouldn't really bother to go and see an exhibition of his work. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't, like, go up to London on a Saturday to go and see it. But then after listening to this interview with him, I was like, oh, my God, it's so interesting. He's so nice and uh, really interesting. So then I was... And then I coincidentally saw a photograph of one of his works today while I was at work on the internet. And I sort of, like, looked at it again ah. with a different light. And was like, oh, now I know all the backstory. Because I think also knowing backstory and all totally, that kind of stuff. yeah. I mean, yeah, um, in terms of, like, I think, yeah, art and songs, that if you know where someone's come from, like, I don't know, like, Kurt Cobain or something, for example, like, when you know his backstory and, like, his It's contextualising it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And you see, then you kind of, like, can see that in the lyrics more. Um, so... It, yeah, you like you can like it on a deeper level. Yeah, I think also as humans we like to sort of like investigate a bit as well. So you like when there are like those clues. So when there's like ref, you know, everyone likes in films when there's like little references to things yeah. and little like and you can piece it and together stuff and you piece it together. And I guess that's just a like, element of that as yeah. well. Um, yeah, do you want me to talk about my artist? It's quite a long one. Oh yeah, no, go for it. Or do you well, want to do no, your I cute life thing? No, no, I can end on that if this leads on quite nicely. I think that was a randomly quite interesting topic. That well, we can I find out know, if I've it was interesting <laughs> or not later. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I um, it's just kind of 
I've watched so many things this week. It's just kind of been playing on my mind and rattling around my brain. So it's quite nice to sort of like just talk about to what, vent it out. what I've been thinking like the last few days. So, Well, I was uh, reading about this artist today mm. called Carmen Herrera. Have you ever heard of her? Carmen Herrera. I, so, mean, I feel like that name rings a bell. So she does like very minimalistic, geometric kind of... Uh, paintings so like the one that I'm showing for now is like it's circle and then it's all like it's all sharp lines and triangles and circles and they're like pretty geometric artworks Um, so yeah so I was reading about so I'd heard about her work before and then was I don't know how I got into reading about it but whatever Mm -hmm. I started reading about it that's all you need to know okay so she was born in Havana in 1915. Um, her fa- father was the fa- founding editor of his newspaper called El Mundo, which oh, is a Mundo. great news, <laughs> a great name for it. El Mundo. <laughs> uh, and her mum was a reporter. She was one of seven siblings. Um, and basically, while she was growing up in Havana, the, they were like dictators at that time, or a dictator at that time. You don't get plural dictators, do you? That's the whole point of them. Um, <laughs> So when she, she left Havana and she went to finishing school in Paris and then she went back to Havana to go and study uh, architecture at university um, but because of the, the, the dictator uh, it was all like political upheaval at the time she mm-hmm. said that the university was closed most of the time so she didn't actually go to university Cool uh, That's a photo of her back in the day Oh she looks cool She's a glamorous lady um, She said it was obviously quite unusual for a um, lady to be studying architecture in the 1930s. Um, halfway through her architecture degree, um, she met her, the love of her life, as she describes him. Aww. Jesse Lowenthal. Lowenthal? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Lowenthal. Mm-hmm. Uh, an English teacher who was uh, visiting America, and um, they got married in 1939, and they moved to New York. And then, once she got to New York, she started to be an artist, and then that was sort of going all right, so then they moved to Paris, where uh, she just carried on being an artist. This is when she really got into doing her, like, weird, abstract, triangular... Well, living a, my perfect life. I mean, how, I mean, this is why I'm telling you this, all this backstory, because it's just like... Aww. How cute's that? Just, like, dotting around between Paris and um, New, York. New York, doing yeah. strange geometric little paintings. Um, can I do that, but with cute paintings? You can, but we can't afford to live in Paris or New York. Sorry. You could do Hastings and Margate, if you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Pop in, see Pete Doherty. <laughs> um, so, when she was in Paris, she limited herself to painting with only two or three colours, painting interlocking, interlocking abstractions where ovals met rectangles and triangles and semicircles, often set within a circular hole. Um, she exhibited a few things. She never sold an artwork at this point. How old is she at this point? Do you um, know? Or... So this is in 1950 and she was born in 1915. Oh, God. Do the math. No, then. I can't do that math. Uh, Middle-aged? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were actually going to say the number. What's 50 minus 10? 40. Minus 5. 
40, wait. 35 years old. 35. Uh, that's a little... Fun. I have I have dyslexia. I can't do things when you just Also, math to, sucks. I have to, I have so to write cares? it down. Uh, she used to hang out with some, like, artists there. She became, Is that a picture? That's a picture of her in front of the Eiffel Tower with her husband. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, in the late 40s. Um, she became friends with uh, the parents of the artist... Uh, how do you pronounce this? Yes, Klein? Eve's Klein. Eve's Klein, that's it, isn't it, yeah. Um, who were both painters themselves. She said, they shared a studio. He's the one who did all the blue paintings, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, they shared a studio and they had an easel and one would paint on one side and the other would paint on the other side. His mother was better than he was and did better than him. They used to always talk about Bebe. We thought it was a little child until one day we met him. He was their only child. They would say, we have to go home and feed Bebe. And Bebe turned out to be a 20-year-old who was a painter and loved martial arts. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how good is that? That's great. Was that, was that his actual name? Or was no, they, it was just like the nickname. They called him like the baby, The basically. baby. That's cute. Uh, so then Herrera t- returned to New York in the mid-1950s. Her work became even more minimalist. Um, she started doing sharper lines. She famously said, I never met a straight line I did not like. Oh, that's the opposite of me. <laughs> um, I hate drawing straight lines. Can't do them. But it was very difficult for her to go back to New York and still trying to sh- show her art. Still had sold nothing. Really? You know, but she's persisting. Um, her art was very unfeminine, which didn't help. Uh, she said she women were supposed to do maternity scenes or watercolours. Mm. What's a maternity scene? Just like Does mo- it say maternity? Yeah, that was her saying. Maternity scene. I wonder if she means like scenes of mothers being maternal. Maybe women would buy them back in the day. Like I'm imagining sort of Renaissance Madonnas holding babies. Yeah, I guess that That's kind what of I'm stuff. Imagining. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, just maternal. So, I don't know. It's I weird. don't know. I'm going to have to look that up afterwards and see what she made. I'm sure she knows what she's talking about. Well, she I'm, was there. I'm not doubting her. Don't doubt her. I'm thing. doubting my own. I mean, but she. Um, my, I'm not doubting. I know I'm being you're stupid. Questioning. Questioning my stupidity, my ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, then. Don't forget. That. Okay. Uh, so she was not deterred, though. She continued to paint, and the world continued to ignore her. She recalled visiting one avant-garde gallery to discuss her work, and as she left, the owner, Rose Fr- Rose Fried, Rose Freed, I'm gonna go Freed. It's less likely than Fried, although it's spelt Fried. Okay. <laughs> Called her back, and she said, "You you know, Carmen, you can paint rings around the men, the around the men artists I have, but I'm not gonna give you a show because you're a woman." <gasps> she said, "I felt as if someone had slapped me on the face. I felt for the first time what discrimination was. It was a terrible thing. I just walked out." Oh, that's awful. Freed said that she had to give the men shows because they had families to maintain. It what was the a, fuck? It was a lame excuse, fuck said Herrera. Off. Oh my God. I she and to... Jessie didn't even have children. Shove her face in a puddle. Don't um, know why that was the first thing that came into my head. <laughs> so while they're doing this interview, so this is all sort of from an interview and it's been like turned okay, into a life okay. story. Oh, that's made me angry. So then they're talking about uh, her husband. Uh, Jesse and Herrera says uh, he was a saint he was very patient and very supportive and he would encourage me and if he didn't like something he would keep his mouth shut rather than be critical Jesse died in two th- in the year 2000 aged 98 a wow. year more a little more than a year after Herrera's first solo exhibition in America although she'd still not sold anything <gasps> 
Male artists such as Ellsworth Kelly and Barnett Newman uh, were ploughing a similar furrow and being rewarded for it, but success continued to elude her. It seemed that geometric abstractions were just dandy so long as you weren't a woman. Oh, my God. But she does say that um, men fared better, not just because they were men, but also because they were more streetwise, that they were better at knowing how to play the system, what to do and when. They figured out the gallery system, the collector system, the museum system, and I didn't have that kind of personality. So sort of being quite forward. Yeah, so I think she says like... Well, I think, I mean, obviously very different, but I think she's sort of saying that, I mean, obviously when you've got those gallery directors saying, I won't show your work... I mean, it's going to knock, knock your confidence, isn't it? A bit of a kick it? in the butt. But yeah. at the same time, like, I suppose she's saying that, like, you know, these men were able to go in and say... Howdy doody. <laughs> That's what men did say in those days. <laughs> That's what I'm imagining with a cigar hanging out in their mouth. Her- Herrera lived in the same apart- apartment for 49 years. In the 60s and 70s... Um, in New York? Yeah, New York artists would hang out at the nearby restaurant and nightclubs. Uh, Warhol's factory was just down the street from her. The area was glamorous in a bohemian kind of beaten up way. She and Jesse got by by living on his wage. Um, what did he do? Uh, I think he was a teacher. Oh, so he wasn't anything creative. Well, I don't know what he taught. He maybe I oh, know he was an English teacher. Oh, okay, so, that is quite yeah. Creative. So there's creativity yeah. in there. Um, so in her studio, she had a like a. A big workspace covered with industrial-sized metal rulers, pencils, piles of paper, scissors, colour charts, pots of orchids sitting on all the window stills. Every day she goes to the, would go to the desk and she would draw. She drew miniature tiny paintings, then she'd hang those on the wall. She'd stare at them for a few weeks. Then if she liked it, she would do it again, slightly larger. And then if she liked it again, she would do it even larger. Oh my God, that's such a good And that's technique. how she would know that they were good. That's brilliant. That is absolutely gold advice there. So she's still going. She's 103 now. <gasps> oh. um, she can't work on her own these days. Um, she's arthritic and in a wheelchair. So she has an assistant called Manuel Beldum, Beldumer, who buys the canvases, puts them on the old architectural, architectural drafting pa- uh, table for her, um, and then does all the lines for her. So she just points where she wants the lines now and he does them for her. She says, this is really good. Manuel is unsophisticated about art and he doesn't want to be an artist. <laughs> he does exactly what I tell him and he does it well. I wouldn't work with someone who wants to be an artist. I would throw them straight out of the window. <laughs> yes, girl. Oh, I love her. And then you have one complaint about Bel- Bel- Belduma. He is very religious. Oh. The journalist looks around the room in disbelief as she says this. There is Catholic iconography everywhere but you're a Christian too the journalist says yes but he is too religious he even does he doesn't even work on Sundays so when this interview was done she was 101 years old yeah uh, so the journalist says she has a grumpy exterior but when she softens she verges on the uh, coquettish at 101 there is still something girlish and playful about her she dresses stylishly she has a white bob and the longest fingers I've ever seen I'll show you a photo of the fingers in a minute they're so long really Longer than mine? They're definitely in there with you. <laughs> um, so basically, she's a fucking badass. She's a badass. She... Charismatic. She's very charismatic. Uh, so, she... Oh, I thought of another Iris that... Oh, yeah. Well, I think this, so la- this lady's quite similar to that yeah. Iris, though. Uh, so the first press coverage of Herrera's work appeared in 1998... 
So she was born in 1915, so mm-hmm. she's taken a while to get there. Mm-hmm. A short review of a small exhibition in a gallery in East Harlem dedicated to Latin American art. Um, in 2004, she sold her first painting. Oh. How good's that? Um, God, good on her. I mean, she just obviously had a passion and she was not going to be told otherwise that she wasn't going to keep going. Um, and then she was given a solo show in Europe at Birmingham's Icon Gallery. Woo! Um, she's now represented by Listen Gallery. Really? Uh, has like, um, she's like shows in all these amazing museums and like art galleries and sells her paintings for like hundreds of oh, thousands of Oh, I bet her pounds. husband is so proud of her. I bet her husband is looking down and so proud but yeah she's been at like freeze and all this kind of stuff amazing oh my god never give up on your dreams <laughs> isn't that an amazing story yeah i loved it oh she sounds absolutely great what an inspiration also loved that tip of like making the a small drawing and then making it bigger and bigger yeah and bigger. i know i just thought what that was really tip. nice um, that is up there with the recycling bin of <laughs> Like, I can't remember what artist it was. I think I recommended it on the podcast before that I was listening to a podcast. And an artist, like, kept a little, like, recycling bin of old drawings that, like, when she didn't like oh, them, yeah, she I put, she put it in was. this box. And then whenever she felt stuck or whatever, she got the old drawings out and then drew on top of them. And then they make these really cool sort of collage sort of drawings um, I just thought that's such a good idea of like not throwing them away, just putting them to one side and just having them in a box that you can play with. Well, I think that's a good idea for you, Finn, because you throw everything up. You rip up your paintings if you don't yes, like them. I'm quite critical. Anyway, the last point on this lady. Yes. On our dear friend, Carmen Herrera, is that there is a short documentary about her <gasps> I'm uh, called The 100 Year Show, Amazing. which was made in 2015. It's only 40 minutes long. 100 Year Show. Um, but it's about her preparing for an exhibition and her 100th birthday. Amazing. Oh, my God. I'm but yeah, 104. Still going strong. Yay. I hope I'm still... Wow. Look I've just shown Finn a picture of her hands. I They're mean, insanely... Her fingers are insanely ve- long. They're very spindly. They're so spindly. Is that what my hands are going to look like when I'm an old lady? I, mean, I hope so. Maybe. I'm if you spend as much time painting as she did. Creepy witch fingers. I hope so. Let, wait, they, can I look at her hands when she was young? I mean... They're still long. They're quite long. Yeah. That's the story of Carmen Herrera. Oh my God, I love her. Thank you so much. I'm going to do loads of research. Sorry, that was time. quite a long story. But no, I couldn't I really it. work out how to... Convey that in a shorter way. No, she was great. Um, and we shall watch the documentary, and then we will report back whether yeah. we think it's good wow. or It's annoying because the documentary used to be on Netflix, but it isn't anymore. Oh, that sucks. So I think you've got to rent it. It's like three quid. But... Oh, that's all right. So don't rent it yet, guys. We'll watch it. We'll watch it, and we'll tell not. you whether it's worth watching. Although, I mean, that's such a good story, right? Brilliant. Um, a story of never giving up on your dreams... I'm never giving up on my dreams. Um, oh, I heard a really good, um, like, 
I was listening to me saying I haven't been listening to podcasts. I've been stripping our stairwell, so I've been listening to podcasts while I was doing that. And I listened to one, which is like a therapy podcast that I can't remember what it's called now. It's called, oh, it's called Your Mental Breakdown. And I heard about it. Sounds fun. My Favourite Murder. Um, And it's basically just like them talking through a therapy session and it's like recorded. Um, But... One thing that I heard, which I thought was just really useful, was um, the miracle question. And so, like, when the people... Do you call them patients when you go into therapy? I think so. Um, When the patient first goes in for the first session, he asks them a miracle question. And it's, like, if you could wake up in, like, five years and your life was perfect exactly the way that you'd want it like what would it look like um and I just thought that was such like a good tip and a good way of like focusing like on what you really like truly want and I don't think you actually really sit down and think about those things like I mean there's like five-year plans and stuff but I really liked that whole sort of analogy that you just wake up and what would your life look like if you it was perfect and like realistic i mean we can all wake up and say oh that i'd have won the lottery and i'd have a swimming pool and blah 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 um but you should do it in a way where it's uh, where it's like achievable yeah achievable goals and that could be that you want to be a famous rapper sure. <laughs> um, so that, that, that rapper he i think did it in like four years so lil peep lil peep but he so... already had the name mm. Why is the name the most well, important part? <laughs> okay. It's a good start. It is a good start. His mum calling him a rapper name from childhood. He's got a he's got to plant the seed. Well, I think he he just not he, joking. He made it a rapper name. <laughs> not joking. Um, but Lil Lil is yeah. Lil's popular That's in the funny. rap world, yeah, isn't it? It is. Hmm. Interesting. That's food for thought there, Ollie. <laughs> is it? Because <laughs> I, I don't know why you're going to go with that thought. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, what an amazing. Anyway, thought. I just thought I, it's really made me think about like what I want from my life and stuff, and like what I would. So, are you doing this five-year internal test? Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I just thought that maybe everyone could go away and like just think about it you don't have to tell anyone i just thought like maybe writing it down is quite helpful it's a bit like that artist way kind of thing isn't it yeah well i think if i look back four years or five years from now no like in the past i mean i think i've probably achieved a lot of the sort of miracle things that i would wow miracles (laughs) Well, no, I'm joking. You know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. Like that. I'm like my perfect life. Well, I and think all the that... things I would have. I would have said. Oh, I wish that we weren't renting. That we had our own house. And well, that's. I sort of think I do like money. a version of that where I I'd always... be doing full time, like making my art full time. They're two huge things that I don't think I would have ever thought were possible. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I do a version of that where it's like, um, where you think part like past you would be proud of what you're doing. Now. Yeah. Where if you do something, you're like, this is cool. If I could go back in time and tell me five years ago that I'd be doing this. They'd be, be, like, yeah. totally made up for you. Yeah, rather than the blasé, disinterested attitude I have to doing everything yeah. now. <laughs> I think it's just, yeah, it's just a good exercise in being grateful and 
uh, working towards your dreams. Um, so yeah, so I just thought I'd share that because I thought it was interesting. This has turned into a Thanksgiving episode, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, just for been some reason. Hashtag grateful. grateful. Um, do you want to hear my cute thing, Ollie? Please. And everyone at home. Let me tell you a little tale about an orangutan named Ken Allen. <laughs> Called what? Ken Allen. Ken Allen. Ken Allen. An orangutan called Ken Allen. San Diego's zoo... Zoo... That's a good start. Uh, San Diego Zoo's Houdini. Amazing. Ken Allen. Ken Allen... I might preempt this with... It is in a zoo, so it makes me sad, but it is But the Houdini element sounds positive. So... Although I don't agree with it wholeheartedly because of the zoo aspect. Finn, you've got to look past your prejudices if you want to find <laughs> things that are cute in the world. we got to do it. Um, Ken Allen was a Bornean orangutan. Bornean? Bornean? Bornean. Orangutan living at San Diego Zoo. He swiftly became the most famous animal in the history of the zoo due to the number of successful escapes from his closure he could committed. Ken Successful? Was... Yes. I like it. Ken was born in the zoo in 1971. According to some sources he was given the name Ken after the Alex Brown and Company Wall Street brokerage. Wow, that's Gave fun. the zoo a hefty donation and requested that their ugliest orangutan be named after the firm's equity traders. Oh, Ken. Fucking fuck you guys. Ken is beautiful. Um, other Can so- I see a picture of Ken? He's pieces uh, <laughs> in the eye of the, uh, the beholder, right? Mm, I think he is. Um, other sources claim he was named after the zookeeper Ken Willingham and zoo security officer Ben Allen. That seems more likely to me. Yeah, me too. Ken was raised in the zoo's nursery after his mother Maggie made threatening gestures towards him. Rank a sign. <laughs> Must have been. Early on, it was evident that Ken suffered from an incurable wanderlust. While in, the, <laughs> while in nursery, Ken learned to escape from his crib by removing the bolts. He also wow. enjoyed unscrewing any light bulb he could get his hands on. From then until Ken got too large, Joanne Thomas, one of the zoo's nursery attendants, often took Ken out of his crib and took him around the zoo in a stroller. He was like the precocious child who was just too intelligent for his own good, she stated. Ken's first escape from his enclosure happened in June 1985 when the four foot six inch, 250 pound orangutan escaped by climbing up his retaining wall. During the escape, Ken, who was very passive in nature, just wandered around the zoo looking at all the other animals like <laughs> another patron of the zoo. In fact, Ken was so placid that a number of visitors walked right up to him and had their photograph taken with him. Oh my God, that's amazing. The second escape came in July of 1985 and the third in August of 1985. However, during the final escape, Ken made his way to the enclosure of Otis, a summer... 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 I'm going to skip Summer... Summer... I'm going to skip... I seem to have malfunctioned. Summer. Yeah. A ragazag, a former pen mate of his, who was not known to be amicable. Oh, shit. Shit's Once going down. Once there, Ken threw rocks at Otis before he was escorted Ken. back to his enclosure. Ken broke out of jail to go throw rocks at yeah. Otis. 
Ken became such a celebrity at the zoo marketing department uh, that the zoo marketing department sold sweatshirts with his face emblazoned on the front with some witty slogan such as free Ken Allen. And moreover, a local artist recorded a song titled The Ballad of Ken Allen. Oh my God, I've got to listen to I that. I know. In which he sung the Ken, uh, that Ken, Ken, uh, blah, blah, blah. He only had. He also had a fan club known as the Orang Gang. Uh, Ken wasn't just known for his escapes either. While he was typically placid, staff at the zoo said he despised when humans paid special attention to any other apes. On one occasion, a TV crew was filming gorillas in the enclosure next door to Ken, and he started lobbing rocks at them. <laughs> when he ran out of rocks, he proceeded to throw feces when the crew started scattering. The zoo spent $40,000 to completely secure um, Houdini's enclosure. They smothered the front surface of the rock outcropping, eliminating any cracks and crevices caused by Ken to pull himself up. Afterwards, Ken was never able to escape again. He's not cured, just contained, said Ken's keeper. I think the impulse to climb out is still in there. Um... <clears throat> oh, that's sad. I know, so sad. So then they um, introduced four female orangutans into his enclosure to sort of keep him occupied because they thought That'll he just might up. be lonely. Um, but then he just uh, talked. Talk feces at them. No, he, um, he taught them how to use a branch like a, a human would use a crowbar to attempt to escape. <laughs> So he basically just created an army of uh, orangutans. This is literally the beginning of Planet of the Apes, isn't it? Yeah, crazy. And, oh, yeah, I read another article where, yeah, he and the other orangutans in his enclosure would go on little escapades together. (laughs) So he'd take people, his friends with him. What a clever guy. But he, um, so he used to, like, they tried all these techniques to work. They couldn't work out how he was escaping. So they used to watch him, like, they set up surveillance videos but he like clocked onto them and realised what they were doing so didn't like fall for it basically yeah. and then uh, so then all the zookeepers went like undercover basically and like dressed in like uh, like civilian guard oh so not in their guard and, uniform yeah to try and trick him and he still was like Ken's having, too smart having none of it and he used to like watch um, like watch like the other keepers and stuff and work out like what their routines were and stuff and then like that's when he would make his grand escape and it's just like the great escape it's just crazy it's so intelligent and just so sad that he was you know kept kept uh, against his will when all he wanted to do was escape he just wanted to roam around and yeah have fun but anyway so yeah he um died in 2000 um that he had to be put down because they found out he had advanced cancer so it was a sad sad end for ken allen that's the ken Ken allen was 29 that's not old for an orangutan they can live into their 40s really yeah shit didn't know that yeah so there are orangutans out there that are older and wiser than me definitely Definitely. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> Quite a few, I'm actually. Well, the wise of it or the old of it? <laughs> bit both, both. Yeah, both. Um, yeah, so that was the story of Ken and the Ken Allen, the amazing escaping orangutan. Well, Ken, 
God bless. God bless. Live free. Godspeed. I hope you're unbolting and unscrewing light bulbs in heaven. Exactly. Mm. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Man, I love orangutans. Me it's too. Like forever. I know, and it's so sad that they're like endangered and we're ruining. I was listening to a um. <laughs> Me again, say so I don't listen to podcasts yeah. anymore. You listen to a podcast. To, listen, listen to a podcast while I've been stripping the stairs um, about the coronavirus because. Oh, that's fun. Well, everyone's losing their tiny minds over it. It's hit Hastings, the uh, madness. We went to the supermarket at the weekend and me and Ollie could not believe the toilet roll aisle. There was just nothing there. And the man next to us in the aisle, what did he say? Well, so we were doing a small fake photo shoot of me hoarding toilet roll. Because <laughs> we thought it'd be funny. And we were like, <laughs> and then I was like saying to Finn, like, wow, there's like literally no toilet roll left. And then he, this guy came up behind us and went, uh... I see stupidity is not in short supply. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Ollie cracked up. So amazing? good. But yeah. Um, but then Finn Panic bought 38 rolls of No, I did roll. not. But <laughs> I know I'm just getting a bit worried now because I'm like, should... Because I've just thought, oh, well, this is all a big fuss over nothing. We'll it all calm down and we'll think, oh, why were we so stupid? But all this like panic buying starts to make me feel quite worried. So I thought I'd educate myself on the coronavirus. Well, I think if you are going to panic buy anything, get like rice. Yeah, rice. Or, or like canned tomatoes and spaghetti. soup or something, pasta. Like I don't think you really need to get a Toilet roll. roll. Oh, I can live without toilet roll. Can't live without food. That's literally scientific fact. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I've been listening to a podcast about the coronavirus. And, like, basically, this is all, like, boiling down to the fact that humanity is, like, like, population is out of control and we're encroaching on more and more wildlife, which have all these diseases and fucking eating animals. Yeah. That we should just stop doing it and we wouldn't get all these fucking diseases because it's all people eating bats or eating something that's eaten a bat and then it... Bats do seem to be a source for a lot of problems, They are, they? yeah. No, but it's really interesting because I didn't really know... My, well, I didn't know anything no. about the coronavirus, so it is very interesting. But I haven't finished it yet, so I won't recommend it. Spoiler alert, they all get coronavirus. Well, I didn't realise that the coronavirus is like linked to like well, it's like SARS and SARS was like a huge like crisis and we got over that so it did make me feel a little less worried although it is kind of worse than SARS apparently according to this podcast but I'm not an expert so well um Holly Exley who you've mentioned before she retweeted this article that a doctor in Italy had written about it and it's really interesting talking about how him and his colleagues were like, it's not going to be anything. And then now they're like, we haven't been home for nine days because there's so many people in hospital. That's fucking mad. It's interesting. What is good is, so you know it's called COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah, because coronavirus is like a group of viruses. Like, yeah. so the flu, the common cold, like everyone's, like this made me feel a bit better as well. Like that everyone has had coronavirus at some point because the common cold is like... Um, is a coronavirus but like usually it's upper respiratory like so you get blocked nose you get um like sneezing that kind of thing it affects your upper respiratory system but like SARS this variant of the coronavirus all um affect your lower respiratory system and give you pneumonia basically and that's why people are yeah dying 
Um, I was just going to say it's quite good because you can sing COVID-19 to the tune of Come and Eileen. COVID-19. Uh, <laughs> well, we can all cheerily so, sing that down the So when you get, down the when you get it, just remember to sing that because it'll cheer you up. Yeah, that is quite funny. Thank you. All right, I think that's enough. Um, should we end on that then? Yeah. Well, I think this has been a really good episode, Dolly. We've <laughs> hit some interesting topics. Yeah, we've done all of the big three. Pete Doherty, Pete old Do- ladies, <laughs> come on Eileen. <laughs> If that doesn't get you the podcast award, then I don't know what will. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Um, I've just realised we didn't talk about the Sunny D thing that we talked about last week. Oh, yeah. Sunny D did turn a woman orange. I'll go into more detail this time next week. Because <laughs> <laughs> we actually did look that up and it did. It yeah. really happened. Um, so thank you so much for um listening you guys and for sending me nice messages um a lovely listener sent me a message this week saying that she loves listening um like while she's walking her dog and i'm very sorry i've forgotten your name but i'll give you a shout out in the next episode um but yeah thank you so much for like spreading the word and yeah we really appreciate it as always um so subscribe if you're new and um yeah tell your friends and if you want to talk to me and ollie about anything i'm at philly elliot portraits not ollie's at ollie place we love hearing from you and yeah we'll see you next week with tales of sunny Sunny d D updates yeah i'll remember this time yeah sorry everyone i've let you all down (laughs) It's your turn. It's usually me. Let's everyone tell. Yeah. Um, bye. bye. We love you. Bye. bye. Speaks too much, he has to go.